0: People are surprised by how light they feel when they speak their pain. And when they begin to share their authentic truth, they begin to bond, they begin to love, they begin to belong. If we keep fueling the sense of belonging, a collective power can emerge.
1: Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, and social artists, people who take the pulse of the times and create. In this time when so much seems to be coming apart, for sure, much is coming together that we can't see. Our guests help us to see more clearly and act more courageously in this potent time of change. Today's guest is Kriti, Dharma named Kanko. She is a climate scientist, Buddhist Zen teacher, and grief ritual leader. She is co-founder of Boundless in Motion Sangha, a meditation community in the Buddhist lineage of Cold Mountain Zen. She is also a founding board member of Rocky Mountain Echo Dharma Retreat Center, a center that brings meditation and nature together with Dharma teachings for ecological action As well as Frontline Farming, an advocacy group that lifts up people of color and women farmers and focuses on food cultivation, education, policy change and justice. As a senior scientist in the Climate Smart Agriculture Program at Environmental Defense Fund, she is helping to implement environment and climate friendly methods of small farming at large scales in Asia with a threefold goal of Poverty Alleviation, Food Security, and Climate Mitigation Adaptation. She is the leading a teacher of Dharma of Resistance, an online course that builds on teachings of Kingian nonviolence, social permaculture, and Buddhism to teach participants how to take sacred and radical direct actions to bring in climate justice and racial healing. And now my conversation with Kriti. Dr. Kritikanko, welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right. You know, you bring many streams of thinking and being to bear on our predicament, what post-carbon calls the great unraveling. You are an ordained Buddhist teacher, you are a scientist, you are a student of your own and collective suffering. You bring compassion, humanity, clear seeing, and a sort of calm and patience with partial measures. I seem to hear in what you say, if you meditate but don't act then, or if you act but don't feel then, or or if you feel but don't ground then, the systems we've sent out of balance are incredibly complex. And we at least need to bring complexity of response to this moment. And I feel you threading a sort of Rubik's cube of response to our tragic moment when more suffering is baked in and no leaders seem equal to the task of leading. So I'm fascinated to hear how you will respond to the one question that we ask everybody on this podcast in the midst of all that seems to be going awry. What could possibly go right? Ah,
0: Thank you so much, Vicky, for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for weaving all these different threads of my own life and mirroring them to me. You know, as I was thinking about this question, well, first of all, when you first sent the invite, I wanna tell you how refreshing it was to just receive that question. I don't usually say yes to podcasts anymore, but I thought, wow, this is, a, this is a beautiful question to sit with, so thank you for your work, the work you've done in your life to come to this point to say, This is an important question to ask. So we keep ourselves inspired. Now, how will I respond? Somehow the phrases which are ringing in my ear today is, we will all collectively get blocked, restless, isolated, that we will begin to love and become friends again. I feel like one of the fundamental things that I find people seeking when they come to meditation retreats, healing retreats, grief rituals with me is sense of belonging, right? Sense of belonging. And when we open that portal for people, when you say, here's the way to slow down, feel your own grief, and begin to speak it, people are surprised by how light they feel when they speak their pain. It could be anger, it could be fear, it could be grief. And when they begin to share their authentic truth, they begin to bond, they begin to love, they begin to belong. It's both a hope and a prayer and I'm leaning into that uncertainty this is what could keep going right if we keep fueling the sense of belonging a collective power can emerge right and a collective before power actually I would say our ability to sit with more and more discomfort will increase One of the things I'm so passionate about is racial justice, Okay, healing racial trauma, let's say. One of the fundamental shifts that needs to happen in addition to people of color, indigenous people, Indian people, getting to speak the grief is white folks beginning to see that we have accumulated financial privilege and that If we are in love and solidarity with people of color, we can return, we can share that wealth willingly, open-heartedly, right? That's talked about more often than the other side, which is also very important. People of color who do have some sense of belonging still left, and I believe that very deeply, they begin to see how disempowered in general people of European descent are. They don't have a sense of belonging with their tribes, their lands, their culture, their rituals that were eradicated by the same systems of oppression that accumulated, mm-hmm. gave, brought wealth to their hands. So, what am I coming back to? What could go right is that we go. We slow down. We feel our emotions. We have safe enough spaces where we can speak our grief and anger and fear and confusion, sense of not knowing where we can go. And out of that vulnerability of sharing comes a sense of belonging and friendship, which gives us even more courage to step into deeper discomforts. All the way to shame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about human neurobiology, fighting, freezing, fleeing a situation are fundamental responses to trauma and stresses. And what counters it is sense of belonging, right? If all the crises of our times, are putting us into shame, are push. We are not distracted because we want to be distracted. The shame is compulsively making at it. So I'm praying, I'm hoping what could go right is that we begin to slow down and belong, belong. And out of that belonging, another th- layer of things that could go right Is that we'll form islands of sanity, islands of belonging in a sea of chaos. As a climate scientist, every time I speak about it, I still have my own grief well up. I don't think we're going to stop the the flood of flooding, you know, flood of droughts. (laughs) Uh, The the fires, they are going to get more intense. Uh, so there will be chaos, there will be literal chaos, there will be psychological chaos, there will be actual rising of sea levels. And I think if we can slow down and begin to belong, we can still form islands of belonging and sanity in this sea of chaos. And we can preserve for future generations, these values, frameworks, strategies that that we can dream of passing on to future generations, you know, seven generations from now or 14 generations from now. There is a whole set of things I could speak about with my scientist mind, you know, where are the climate solutions? I don't want to go there today. The fundamental thing is learning to belong. What could go right is with all of these disappointments, we will be able to pause and belong and it might have to start with people who have the privilege of slowing down as you know there are so many of us who don't have vacation time who don't have freedom to take time to slow down their five jobs part-time jobs no health insurance elders and children to take care of and hopefully when we begin to create some islands of sanity around our immediate Circles, then we can, they, that can spiral outward and together we can hear the cries of the planet and other species more deeply.
1: So where do you see, or do you see, even the inklings of Islands of Sanity, do you see that emerging right now because part of the idea of this podcast is what can our guests point to that they see on the horizon that we could not replicate you know in some sort of linear way but you know sort of like inch toward you know know that it's out there feel that oh there's something something coming toward me that I can move toward myself so do you see this happening
0: I definitely see Seeds sprouting in many places, and I myself am so empowered and healed by seeing those seeds. Every time, if I begin closer to home, every time we do a retreat, especially for people of color, some of us have really had a lot of trauma in our lives, trauma loads, right? And we begin to create these spaces where people have time in silence. And then there are these practices to speak about your grief. There is an amazing thing that happens where I'll give you some examples where I always say people of color have a lot of ancestral resilience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As a group, Black, Indigenous people of color have faced so much trauma and they also have ancestral resilience, So what begins to happen is that you do these retreats, you peel layers of trauma and there emerges ancestral resilience. Mm -hmm. And, And also emerges a deep sense of belonging. All the people of color retreats I have read so far, it has resulted in, I wouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people becoming lifelong friends. People standing up for each other when... Just a week before retreat started, they were complete strangers and And then people doing projects together, right? And this happens even outside of residential retreats where you give people some tools to access their grief and pain when they have named it collectively and they begin to feel less isolated in their grief. um. Uh, it unlocks a lot of courage and creativity and belonging. So yes, definitely happening. Definitely happening. I would love to see that happening in ten thousand more places. So there you go
1: <laughs> with the seeds. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna riff on this a little bit. I mean you've you've put out a lot of things here that um... And I'll just tell a little story because I did tell you earlier that I had had cancer. And when it was an opportunity, it's sort of that time, it's that blessed time of reset. Like if you're going to reset your life, nobody can argue with you at that point because you have cancer and you could die. So I just did a total life reset, not out of fear, but out of joy. But I took myself out of a context where I was known and cared for, et cetera. And I threw myself. To being a newcomer Hmm. in a in a community that had many attractive things about it, but you know, like a little village on this island here, and the need for belonging was so intense for me, you know, that I hadn't spent a lifetime. Everybody seemed to spend a lifetime raising children together, and so they all had that automatic thing: how do I do this? How do I how do I knock on the door and belong? And and so I've been a student of how to belong to a people and a place. Mm. And I've worked on relocalization. I've worked on many things associated with this. And I sort of think this is going to be our situation, you know, that it's going to boil down to the people in your neighborhood. If, If the consequences continue, it's going to be the people who are around you somehow. Maybe you will get you know, support from people who are far away. But somehow or another, we it's like the, the task is to learn to belong to one another in the places where we live. Yes. And you know, you, you sort of wait around to be included, but you don't, you you can show up. You know, I just started showing up. I volunteered, you know, like you start out by volunteering. I priced shoes at the thrift store. You know, that was my first volunteer job it's a really interesting question is how do we return to belonging to one another? Yes. And, and, and even though, you know, it's, it's like a, (laughs) call it, we'd be so white, you know, it's a very white community, but we have a lot of other kinds of diversity, religious and cultural, et cetera. And I said, it's the most diverse place that I've been. It's, it's, since high school it's like a place in the world for whatever reason you know we've all been jumbled up my ancestors came from from basically the jewish communities in ukraine you know Mm -hmm. and we've all been jumbled up and then we're we just somebody shook it all up (laughs) and we've landed here how what do you see like what like whether you are projecting or if you've you've observed this what do you see about Creating belonging in real life, in real communities or translating the belonging somebody might feel in a retreat when they slow down and they can return and create belonging because that's going to be so important, is important.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for taking it there so that you are so right. There is a sense of belonging you can create in these curated retreats. But then the real test is in our daily lives, right? And I'm good, you know. It's it's cooking for each other, cleaning for each other, knowing when we are sick and showing up at the hospital, like um, just just showing up. And that showing up requires time. It requires that we clear up our timetable, right? if your life if my life is so regimented that i have meetings from 7 in the morning which i sometimes do till 8 10 at night right my work team is in india and so sometimes i'm waking up 5:30 in the morning just because it's back to back calls and then late night calls you cannot you do not have time to belong then i am belonging to my project and my work team and i get a salary from that but it is not the kind of belonging we are talking about here. The belonging, sense of belonging with the place, the garden, the animals, birds in your neighborhood and people requires showing up and it requires some skills like cooking, cleaning, sitting with people sharing stories potlucks games it's simple things but Mm -hmm. people need to laugh together as much as they need to cry together so so yes the retreat like practices where you go on walking meditation you sing together dance together some of them can be easily taken to settings outside but this is the quality that in general i see more easily uh, excavatable in people of color, right? It's just already there. When I go to India, each time I go to India, I see that sense of belonging (laughs) rushing in, right? (laughs) My, My mother, my aunties, their neighbors, they are all ready to just close to me and, you know, we get to smell each other. We got to taste pickles from each other's house and, you know, the food is going from one house to another and the spices are going from one house to another. It is very different here and I come back, there is many layers of changes when I come from India to US but one of the things, where are people? Even they ask you, how are you? Do they really mean it? Are they going to stop by if I say, my friend just died? So I don't, I, I think that requires more than slowing down. It requires a deeper trust that if I show up for people, that's good for our collective body. And that trust is gone missing in Western world overall, right? There are individuals and families and communities still nurturing it and trying to pass it to their uh, younger generation's
1: yeah, I also hear you talking about the the wealth of belonging in, in communities of color and the poverty of belonging in white communities that have become so brittle and fragile, not everybody at all times, no overgeneralization. Sure. But there is a, a brittle, fragile f- something when you've gone too long without that sense. I find it in touch, you know, it's like, that was part of the problem of the pandemic is like, you know, 16 hugs a day, just when you went into town, you know, and so we're having to reignite that and just even touching is, has been turned into, oh, I could get sick. But the other thing I will observe is one of my experiences of Bologna, first experiences like really I'm here was when I had to have a surgery soon after I came to this community and somebody set up a meal train and people came morning noon and night to my house it was like wow <laughs> and they all thanked me because we had really good conversations you know so so i see like in my community some of the online tools you know that the online environment weaves us we've got this alert thing and then we've got the buy nothing buy nothing just I would recommend to anybody in this who hears this to if you have a buy nothing group in your community just join it because the the generosity the thrill of giving that is uh, just binds people together well, so there's there's rituals like that too or just caring bridge you know you get sick and, you know, in, in a way, it's sort of a white person thing. You know, we don't just go directly over to the house with a big potluck or, you know, we just go like, oh, is there a caring bridge? Okay, I'll go in the caring <laughs> bridge and I will like, like, like. <laughs> but still, still, it's it's like becoming weavers. And I think one of the things we can all do is just even recognize that brittleness that it just begin to soften that thing inside us yes. that presumes we're unwelcome
0: yes yes and it brings up it brings up all kinds of things including shame right if i show up what if and sometimes people are busy you know when i was growing up in india we we many times wouldn't lock our doors. Neighbors would just come by. It was just like you didn't need appointments. So, and it will be hard to do it here, right? If you don't have a sense of community. I do want to bring up something which does afflict people of color in spite. And again, I'm making generalized statements here. So sense of belonging, sense of community, not feeling isolated. That's beautiful. And what we do suffer from, including in my South Asian culture, is sometimes to maintain that sense of belonging, parts of the community have to suffer the patriarchy, heteropatriarchy, right? Uh, To maintain the sense of belonging, women are the one who are always working in the kitchen, making five meals a day, right? And this happens in communities here as well. I always say this is a this this can feel like a paradox. It might feel like these are two conflicting drives. We want to belong without suppressing individuality, right? right? Exactly. And, creativity. and sometimes the uniqueness, the creativity, the courage can be suppressed because you're asked to belong in an unhealthy way, and which is which which wants. Communities which have traditionally had people of color to want to break free. And and that brings me to the point of need of equanimity, the practices mm-hmm. that bring us back to an equanimous ground. Yes, it's good to have a sense of belonging, compassion, uh, loving kindness for each other. And if we don't have the ground of equanimity, which is what my Buddhist contemplative tradition uh, has gifted me sense of belonging can give you actually too much pain because then you are soaking in pain of the entire community that Mm. I, I myself have had those times where I'm just worrying about everyone trying to rescue everyone and I've lost sense of joy, gratitude and equanimity and it's possible, right? It's possible to get that right. It's possible to have practices that bring us back to equanimity. My Zen teacher used to say, it's possible to be calm and still like the eye of a hurricane. Everything is going crazy, but you have way to access that still center within yourself so
1: yeah no this is as as i said in my little intro what i've got from you is that we live in incredibly complex times with fragilities in places that we don't think there are like a coastline for example so of course everything is complex and when you speak i i'm because I did move out of a place, of a community that would have taken care of me and I moved out on my own into a brand new place. Why did I do that? Well, I needed some freedom <laughs> to experience a new me. <laughs> if I was going to emerge from this cancer with some sort of like whatever my soul was trying to move 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 out, you know, I need a little space. So it's a constant dance. It's a constant dance of freedom and limits, constraints, constraints and belonging. You know, it's like belonging becomes constraint, unwelcome constraint, unwelcome constraint, like pushes you out into a birth into something that's completely foreign where you desire to belong. And so it's like it it's almost like the mastery is, is not set, saying that one of the things is freedom and the other one is constraint. It's a process of living. And for me, I know I'm sort of like talking more than I do with my guests. I'm sharing more of myself, but anyway, <laughs> I think that, that that one of the real skills of this is, is negotiating permeable boundaries and having authority over what comes in and what stays out authority without aggression yes without having to create space for oneself by rejecting the other but still being able to create space i feel like this 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 need to create this kind of i am sovereign and i belong this is a big question i feel on this continent now from the left and the right. Yes. And yes. and in a way, neither side exactly trusts the institutions that are supposed to keep us safe. So now we're having to find this. Would you reflect on that from your yes, <laughs> multiple yes. perspectives?
0: You, you you said many interesting things, but I think boundaries are absolutely crucial. And then to take it to the spiritual level or neurobiological level. You know, one of the responses when we have trauma is, so there is fight, flight, and freeze. The fourth one, which is not talked about often, is fawn, trying too hard to please someone, right? It is also a trauma response. So one of the things that can happen in a community when we don't have a healthy sense of ego, we can talk about transcending ego, another time. But when we don't have a healthy sense of ego and healthy sense of boundaries, I belong, but I am also here, right? That I don't need to become a doormat for the, my community to walk over me or a relationship to walk all over me. So that is really crucial. One of the recent short pieces of writing I did was, In Buddhism, we talk about this concept of interdependence and interbeing, which means I am here because you are here or I am you and you are me, okay? Sometimes interdependence and compassion are interpreted to mean and it relates to creating community, is that I be all self-sacrificing and I take care of you at all times, which is good all spiritual traditions ask us to serve Other beings but interdependence means that I also matter interdependence doesn't mean you 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 it means you and me so I think we come back to doing trauma healing when there isn't enough trauma enough acknowledgement of past traumas it could be family based intergenerational trauma it could be racial trauma now we have climate trauma unless there is some constant ongoing acknowledgement and healing of trauma we will fall into fight flight freeze or fawn which don't create healthy communities either they don't have communities at all or you have communities and they are unhealthy because the women are trying to please men right we are not able to say no We are not able to take our space. People of color are not able to take space because Indian people always, while British Raj, we we don't have the agency to rule ourselves. My grandfather was a freedom fighter and he used to say, his peers used to always argue with him and say, we are not ready for independence. We can't, how can we govern ourselves? trauma response like you know for me so I went in multiple directions but I'm just wholeheartedly agreeing that boundaries permeable boundaries are very necessary and from my point of view we have to get trauma informed in our communities
1: yeah and so yeah oh man we could go on forever here because I'm trying to imagine what is the F, the 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 fifth F here. I mean, there's got to be a healthy F. <laughs> flight, fright, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or we can create an F word. But the but
0: the where I was trying to get to belonging, it's called tend and befriend. Right. So. You know, and you've seen this in um, animal kingdom, non-human animal kingdom as well. Like women tend to do that when we are under stress. We belong to each other and we tend to our young, right? It also has its limit. It's not enough by itself, but it's much better than the other four Fs. So let me take that up as a homework. (laughs) (laughs) We need an F word that means belonging or tending. Friending. Friending.
1: Friending. There you go. (laughs) Where we go. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or friend. There you go. I want to go back around and we probably, we should, this is going to be our last topic to this idea of islands of sanity. I've heard you speak about it once and I even shared it with some friends and that we have a, we have a group here. If it's become an international thing called healing circles where, you know, it started out just sort of like healing from grief and loss, you know, personal grief and loss, but we're going to have a circle around this fight, flight, and friend, you know, that we're going to have a circle around resilience, climate resilience or, you know, resilience in the time of unraveling. And so it's going to be a little bit of an island of sanity, I think. And so I think this is a way that people can practice, you know, can take up a practice of, and they can look up healingcircles.org or something for, you know, more practices, but a practice of in community Doing the creating an island of sanity. So talk a little bit about your thought about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I will. Two components that I definitely want to touch upon. Um, f- from my point of view, if I, we look at all these layers of challenges that we have, I say that there have to be three main components of an island of sanity. So one we have spoken about already so much is trauma healing, Being aware of these layers of trauma, I think of them as layers of an onion, right? You have the trauma that comes from patriarchy and sexism and, you know, climate, race, okay? And ability to find our equanimous ground in the midst of all this. So these are like internal practices. We can do them in a group uh, and having a community helps, just like jogging with other helps, the second component, given the climate crisis, is that the community works on, as you were saying, sharing. What was that group you talked about? No buy-, buy nothing. Buy nothing groups, yeah? We absolutely have to decrease our footprints. I, I would feel sad if I didn't tell you this statistics. An average American is responsible for thirty thousand kilos of carbon dioxide emissions every year. That's like sixty six thousand pounds every year. And in India that's more like five thousand pounds. Okay? Average Indian. And guess where do the where does the American footprint need to come down to? In next five years American footprint needs to come down from sixty six or sixty five thousand pounds to five thousand pounds. How is that going to happen? Unless there is a sense of belonging and community and by nothing mentality and framework and value where we are constantly sharing our landmores. Gosh, do we even need landmores? That's a separate conversation. Mm -hmm. But can we work with fewer cars in a neighborhood? Can we work with fewer TVs in a neighborhood? Whatever it is that we use, that's number two. Okay, inner trauma healing work, grounding work. Second is sharing village life. I call that shared village life. And the third component from my perspective of these islands of sanity is not everyone in a community will have that inclination. But those of us who do, we find our support to say our sacred no to the systems Mm-hmm. systems of oppression. It is not enough to just say, yes, that I'm embracing by nothing framework and value, but to be able to say no. And and in, there are articles in which I have talked about relationship between these three, how they can feed into each other. But when you have to start small, right? First steps. So if anyone here is thinking this sounds okay, but where do I start? The research has shown that you need five to seven people to begin a group. If you become, if you are too few, then the momentum can fall, you know, momentum, you can lose momentum. If you're too big, you can't hold the container human eyes humans can observe body language of 7 to 8 people maximum at a given time when the group becomes too big it can become we bec- we all become performative we tend to not open up at easily even if you classify yourself as an extrovert so there is some magic in this size of 5 to 7 5 to 8 size where you can maintain close emotional bond. And guess what? That's the size of a family. Like even like if you have three generations in a family, that's the size. But even for friendships, this works. So I tell people, if nothing else, try to find like-minded people and have potlucks with, you know, five to seven, eight people. Begin there, watch some... Uh, documentaries, do a book club, and go from there. Uh, There is a lot more I have said about this topic elsewhere, but those are two basic things. The three components of Islands of Sanity, inner work, trauma healing work, shared life, and resistance. But keeping the size in mind, when the group becomes too big, it probably needs to split into three groups of five to seven. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like we're we're giving people at the end of our conversation their how-to, you know, like sending yeah. them off with a how-to. It's more like it, it, there's some essential structure of belonging that you're talking about, you know, where if the belonging has depth, if it's going to see you through hard times, if it's yeah. going to be generative, it needs this trauma-informed meditation equanimity the capacity to ground it needs shared resources like permeable boundaries between mine and thine and it needs it needs a politics it needs a like no there's things in the world that are are not congruent with love and service and we're just going to be you know whether we stand on a street corner or just know it in ourselves no there's things that are amiss. And I take strength from this group of people to go out into the world with my yeses and my noes, Yes. And and in the intimacy of that, yes. that family size that doesn't overwhelm your biology, your neurobiology, by asking you to love too many people all at once. Yeah. So I just...
0: I want to say one more thing. Yes, we... please.
1: No, we can keep going. We can say as much as we want.
0: No, um, well, the, the thing is, This is going to take a lot of patience. It's not easy. You know, when you try to belong, conflict is inevitable. And conflict at one level is healthy. But it takes a lot out of you. It's not pain-free. Because we are so traumatized, you know. 60% of people growing up in America have had sexual abuse in their childhood, verbal abuse, and alcoholic parents. You have a lot of trauma. In any community you walk into, uh, even if it's uh, so-called privileged with respect to financial privilege, or even with racial privilege, there's a lot of trauma in a given room. So someone who is doing their equanimity practices and their healing work will actually feel that trying to maintain community is traumatizing them further, because mm. other people haven't done their inner work yeah so mm. it's it's not easy it's not rosy it's not that sense of community and belonging comes in a linear way so i'll just
1: absolutely and consider the alternative
0: yes yes exactly <laughs> exactly
1: so this is the work this is this is one big piece of work ahead of us yes is there was one spiritual teacher that I used to like who said, if you can learn to keep your heart open in hell, you're in heaven. So it's 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 a little bit, there's there's a lot of opportunity for the work in the times ahead. And that doesn't mean just transcending and you know, self-negation, which is what a lot of people see it as, but it means being able to stay present. Yeah, it's very it's it's challenging, but we've got we honestly we have so many tools out there that people have been learning over the last fifty years. You know, as as the as the social fabric has been unraveling, there's been teachers who who are teaching raveling, You know, like whether it's nonviolent communication or you know, like like so many many teachers have been preparing us with tools.
0: Absolutely. I saw you brought in Mickey Kashtan and some of my friends and colleagues, right? Joanna Macy. So there is just a lot of tools and we have to begin somewhere, right? So if there's anyone in the audience, it's like you have to begin somewhere. I see a lot of people just wanting these tools, but not taking the first step and not finding the first two friends to explore these things with, mm-hmm. because these practices do become easier when you do them together.
1: So, right. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much. <laughs> you. It's really, what a pleasure to get to know you in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, Vicky. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Boringrud, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.